What are users telling us? Because if users care about your product, they're going to give you a lot of feedback. And then you've got to look at how are people actually using it? For anyone who's ever, you know, sort of shopped for an apartment, you go into the apartment building and they have all these amenities like the pool and the climbing wall and the barbecue pit. And people say, oh gosh, I really want to live here. Yes, I'll take the apartment. And then they use those things maybe once or twice. Well, you have those same things when you're building a product roadmap. So I always ask the team, I'm like, is this a swimming pool? Is this something that people think that they want, but actually the data suggests they wouldn't really use it? I'm Jennifer Smith. I'm CEO and co-founder of Scribe. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Jennifer Smith enabled you to turn any process into a step-by-step guide instantly. All this and more on Code Story. Jennifer Smith had an abnormal path to tech. She was born in upstate New York and was not exposed to tech or startups or building companies during her early years. Post-school, she interned at Lehman Brothers but didn't enjoy the feel of the money-obsessed tribe. She went into management consulting for seven years, which eventually led her into business school. And post that, she decided to stay in Silicon Valley and eventually went into venture. Outside of tech, she just recently had a baby and is in the throes of early parenting. As a management consultant, Jennifer did a lot of work observing the tricks and tribal knowledge contained in the workers themselves. After frequently documenting these practices, she thought there had to be a way to just capture their knowledge work instantly with a tool. This is the creation story of Scribe. Very simply, Scribe makes it easy to capture and share institutional know-how, what it is that people know how to do. So the way that the product works is it's both a, a browser extension, like a, like a Chrome extension, and a desktop application, doesn't matter what you use. And you hit the record button and you just do a digital process. You do something you do often. Um, maybe for you, it's, you know, hey, do, how do I use my software to edit podcasts? Click the record button and you just edit your podcast the way you normally would, whatever the process is. And you click stop record and Scribe will auto-generate step-by-step written instructions with screenshots showing exactly how to do that process. And that becomes a really helpful way for people to scale what they know how to do and scale operations. Whether you're, you know, a solo entrepreneur, maybe working with uh, contractors that you have to show how to do something for you, whether you're building out a team and you're onboarding new people, or whether you're a bigger company and you've got to explain to colleagues how to use a new tool that you're rolling out, or you've got customers or clients that you've got to explain how to use your software, anywhere that you have to share with people how to. Scribe's completely free, and it takes just only a couple minutes to get started and create your first Scribe. So if uh, if folks ever have to explain to someone how to do something or, you know, God forbid, are asked to create documentation, uh, give Scribe a try. You can go to scribehow.com, scribehow.com. And just click the Try Scribe for free. Go ahead and create and share your first Scribe there. There's all of this really valuable knowledge in the world that's mostly just locked in people's heads. Like all of this know-how. You think about 
any knowledge worker and what are you doing every day? You're showing up to work, you're nine to five, whatever your hours are, fingers on keyboard, creating value for yourself, for your company. And that knowledge of, of how to do that, the nitty gritty of what are you doing every day is still mostly just trapped in people's heads, right? I mean, if you want to communicate it to someone right now, you're uh, either hopping on a Zoom with them or, you know, you're getting the shoulder tap. Someone's saying, hey, can you just quickly, you know, look over my shoulder and show me how to do this? None of that's a particularly good use of your time, right? I mean, the good use of your time is doing that thing that you're an expert in. We said, well, gosh, what if we could just watch you do the thing that you're great at? And what if you could just use software to automatically capture that and put that in a format that could be shareable and scalable across everyone else? Like, couldn't that be a really great force multiplier on an individual's time, on their team's time and and on their organization's time? And for me, it, it came from, you know, I think what I saw a lot when I was consulting did a lot of work in operation centers where you're, you know, you're just literally sitting next to an agent for eight hours a day and you're looking over their shoulder with, with like a proverbial notepad and writing down notes on what you're seeing them do. And what I would see is these people would have 10, 15 screens up and they're just alt tabbing between all of them, trying to work as quickly and fast as possible. You realize that the, the best people there had figured out shortcuts, things that were different than what they had been trained to do. And as consultants, we would just capture what they'd figured out, put that in PowerPoint and sell that back to our clients. And I always thought like, gosh, what if that person could just capture what they knew directly? Like, couldn't they have had really big impact? They don't need kind of fancy, you know, fancy consultants coming in and, and, you know, regurgitating what they already know. And so it's something that had been, you know, kind of percolating in my head for over a decade, but I had always thought, this is a really obvious problem. Someone else will solve this someday, surely, right? And, you know, fast forward over a decade and I looked around and I said, gosh, I'm still hearing this over and over again as a problem. No one solved this. Maybe I should be the one to solve this. Well, tell me, tell me about the MVP. So that first product you built, how long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? Our MVP was released, let's see, over two years ago now, two and a half years ago. It was a very basic desktop application where you would click the record button and you'd do some process and you'd click stop record and, you know, it would spit out a step-by-step guide. It was not web enabled in any way. Um, You know, these were not, it was just spitting out a PDF, nothing fancier than that. There was no way to to save those or collaborate with on them or edit them or, or any kind of frills like that at all that you might expect. It was really just a very basic kind of hits you over the head, no frills MVP. And the design reflected that. We actually just pulled up uh, uh, the designs um, in our team all hands a couple weeks ago, and, and we compared it to where we're at now. And obviously, most of the folks who are at the company today weren't around when we did the MVP. And there was kind of this collective, like, <gasps> kind of shock when people saw just sort of how primitive and, and basic and undesigned it looked. But that was the point, right? You just got to get something out there that provides the core functionality that you think the market needs, that solves the problem that, that you're trying to solve. And then you listen for feedback and you learn so much from that. To your question on tools, we, we didn't use any fancy tools or anything. It, it was really just kind of ba- building the most basic bare bone things that we could. 
And then we launched it on Product Hunt, which was a, a really great community for us. And you know, I recommend to anyone who's who's building anything um, if they want to get kind of quick feedback. We just launched it on Product Hunt. And we sort of said like gosh, here's the problem we think we're solving. Do y'all agree? Is this is this a real problem you're seeing? And, and is this the right way to be solving it? And the community was super enthusiastic about what we built and then had a whole bunch of ideas of ways that we could improve it, not surprisingly. That really helped define our, uh, our roadmap after. You got to make certain decisions and trade-offs, right, when you're building an MVP around, you know, maybe maybe technical debt and, and you mentioned the design you know approach being pretty simple and and, um, and and there's probably some feature cut and things like that right and it's the desktop app only walk me through a bit of how you coped with those decisions because you know early on you have this grand vision of what you want to build but then you have to go cutting things to make it small enough and and um, just right sized enough as an MVP so tell me about how you coped with those decisions it's painful, especially for folks who take pride in their work, right? Because almost by definition, you want to put something out there that you're not quite proud of, <laughs> that doesn't look the way that you're imagining in your head and doesn't have all of the functionality that you think will be important over time. You want to put out the most stripped down basic version that just satisfies the conditions to test what is basically an experiment. And we continue to do this even now. Our, our, our products, um, you know, much more mature, but we continue to launch new experiments all the time. And I always tell the team when we launch an experiment, you want to do the minimum amount of work required to get this to enough of a quality bar such that if we put this out there and, and the experiment fails, people don't like it. We know it's because they don't like the functionality of the thing that we put out there. Not that it was just way too buggy or, you know, wasn't wasn't intuitive to use or whatever it might be. We said, okay, what do we need to be able to deliver on just this core nugget idea of making it really easy to capture and share know-how at the most basic level? We said, well, the most basic level is that sort of aha moment where you hit stop record and boom, your step-by-step -step guide appears. It's automatically done for you. We wanted to test the hypothesis that what would normally take someone, you know, 30 minutes of writing out a guide or explaining to someone how to do something, if you can do it in one minute or less with Scribe, is that really exciting and compelling for people? And so that was the core part that we focused on of just that, that kind of specific aha moment. And then we stripped out everything else for the very early MVP. It could only download to a PDF. Obviously, now you've got so many different ways, right? I mean, we've got links. We, you can embed it in literally hundreds of different tools. There's all different kinds of options now. But for an MVP, we said, that doesn't matter. We just want to see, do people even care about the ability to create these guides in the first place? And if they want more options for how to share them, for how to edit them, for how to customize them, et cetera, they'll let us know. But we need to just see, do they even care about that nugget in the first place? So then from that point, how did you progress the product and mature it? And, and to wrap that in a box, to kind of bring it back to your, to your point earlier about roadmap, how did you build that roadmap? How did you go about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build, create, address with Scribe? I think in frameworks a lot. And so to, to me, the, the framework for thinking about what to build next is really like the intersection of three things. It's what are users telling us? 
because if users care about your product, they're going to give you a lot of feedback. We got, we got a lot of feedback of, of what folks wanted to see and down to very you know specific feature requests. I want to be able to change the color of this dot here, that kind of thing, right? And then you've got to look at how are people actually using it? So we use a lot of product analytics to see like what are the features people actually care about or what are the parts of the product they're really engaging in. And by the way, that's not always the same thing as what people say that they want. I always liken it to um, to like if, if for anyone who's ever, you know, sort of shopped for an apartment, you go into the apartment building and they have all these amenities like the pool and the climbing wall and the barbecue pit and all these and that. And people say, oh, gosh, I really want to live here. Yes, I'll take the apartment. And then they use those things maybe once or twice. Well, you have those same things when you're building a product roadmap. So I always ask the team, I'm like, is this a swimming pool? Is this something that people think that they want, but actually the data suggests they wouldn't really use it? So we look a lot at what are the, you know, what's the revealed preference? What what are people actually doing in the product? And then the last lens to lay over that is, you know, what's our vision of where we're trying to go and, and what we want to be building? And I'd say the the hardest part in reconciling those things is is really like what's the relative priority that you give between what users are telling you they want and and your vision of what you think is the best solution to their product. It's a constant kind of, you know, questioning and tension of how do you put the relative prioritization between those things. You know you hit the right sweet spot, especially when those things overlap, right? And where, you know, your users are pushing you or rather pulling you to build in the direction that you are planning to build anyways. But what you often find is users are thinking along the lines of the product that they have today and how to make marginal improvements. And where you need to be thinking as a product leader is what's the what's the big leap, the big jump that might not even be obvious that would kind of take this to the next level that people don't even know to ask for. Well, let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? We were very thoughtful about how we've built out our team. I mean, early engineering team, I think I interviewed over 80 engineers before I met now our, uh, our CTO and my co-founder, Aaron. So a lot of conversations with with different folks. And I'd say that's continued to be true for a lot of the roles that we've hired for is we've talked to a lot of people trying to find the, the right person. And it's it's looking for someone not just who has, you know, the capabilities to do the job, but really the right mindset and then where what they want to be doing matches up with with where we're headed. So to make that concrete, we talk a lot about our values internally as a company. And our number one value is be the place where great people come to do the best work of their careers. There's two parts to that, right? One is finding great people. So that's where we spend a lot of time both trying to understand what does excellent look like for a role before we even open up a rec for that position. We'll go and talk to a bunch of people who are just known to be excellent at that at other companies to, to see what great looks like. And then the second part of that is, you know, how do we create an environment where people can show up and do work that they feel really proud of? A big part of the interview process and recruiting process for me is understanding what what does that person want, right? What, what are they looking to do in their career? What does success look like for them personally and professionally? And does that map up with the journey that we're on at Scribe? Because that's where magic happens, right? Where someone says, 
gosh, I want to build a product from the ground up that scales to hundreds of thousands or millions of users. And I say like, great, that's what we want to do too at Scribe. Like we are very well aligned in what we want to do. The flip side of that is I've had folks who have come in and said, you know, gosh, I want to be a world expert on NLP models. So like that, that's a wonderful, this is a true story. I'm like, that's a, that's a wonderful ambition and goal. You should not come to Scribe. You should go to a place like Google that has some of the best NLP engineers in the world and go apprentice with them, right? So it's really finding where, where is that kind of fit up. To your question of like, what, what are the traits that we, looking, we look for? I think the number one most underrated but important trait that we look for is a growth mindset. Everyone at Scribe, by design really, is interested in learning more and doing better and supporting each other, but then also pushing each other to say like, could we be doing better? Could we be learning more? How do we learn faster? How do we reduce these cycles? How do we each get better and collectively get better at what we're doing? And that leads to all kinds of wonderful behaviors that especially when you're in a fast growing, you know, technology company, you really want to see. So if, if I had to like put my bet on, on only one thing to look for, for me, it's, it's growth mindset. And I'd say a, a short number two to that is curiosity. I think those things tend to be quite related. Well, then let's, let's flip to scalability then. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or have you been fighting this as you grow and gain traction? And I'd, I'd say I'd, I probably have a gut feel with the desktop app of, of where you're going to go with that. But, but Did that tip it off? <laughs> may, maybe a little, but tell me your story there. Uh, we absolutely did not build for scale to start, with a few important exceptions. So... Our, our philosophy was you, you don't want to build for scale in something that you don't know if you're just going to have to throw out in a couple weeks or a couple months anyways, right? So the example with the desktop app in the beginning was like, gosh, we don't know if people are actually going to care about this. We, we think they do. We'd done some user research before, right? We had talked to folks. We, we had a good sense for the problem we were solving, but you don't know until you put it in someone's hands. And so we did not build it to, to sort of scale out or like kind of with anything in mind of like what happens over the next couple of months with this. And I, I've worked with a lot of really smart technical founders who do this. They kind of go into the basement and they, you know, build something beautiful and elegant and they spend a lot of time polishing it and it's technically brilliant and it's wonderful and it's all the good things. And then they come out of the basement and they say, okay, who wants this in the market? And what they find out is actually the market, yeah, they want it, but they want something that's like 25 degrees to the left of that, right? Or, or something that's like a, a little bit different. And then they end up having to, to throw out a lot of that. And so I'm a big believer in sort of like quick and dirty to, to learn what you need to learn with some important caveats, right? So we built, for example, from the beginning with security in mind. Because we said security is, is going to be really important. We are capturing screenshots of people's computers. They, they obviously have a lot of control over you know when that's captured. It's, it's only when they initiate it. And they can delete everything and they can redact and crop and it's permanent and all the good things. But but we're still talking about something that's you know can be sensitive and, and certainly private here. So we're going to build with security in mind from day one. And so there's a bunch of stuff that we did to, to put that in place. 
We also said, hey, we think the data, you know, that's coming out of this around, you know, what users are doing and how they're using Scribe is, is going to be really important for us to be able to provide more analytics and insights to our users. So we want to start architecting this from the beginning that when we want to go, to, if we want to go turn that on later, because we think we do, we're going to make that easy for ourselves down the road. So we sort of said, like, what are the things in the future that we think are pretty likely we're going to want? And are there decisions we should be making now when our user base is smaller, our product is, you know, still early on, where like this is the time to do it to make our lives much easier down the road? I mean, you, you know this, especially with, with technical decisions, right? There are just some things that are much easier to do when your code base is much smaller in the beginning than it will be to try to solve for later, right? So you got to kind of ask yourself, like, what are what are those things now versus later? And I think architecture decisions are, are one where, you know, it becomes pretty clear that you might want to pull some stuff up earlier. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I'm really proud of our team. <laughs> we just we have an in- incredible group of people who are very talented at what they do. They will not tell you that. They're incredibly humble people. Um, I often have to introduce them for themselves because they they just <laughs> won't do themselves justice. Um, but they're all also really united in this growth mindset. Um, everyone is here really to try to build, you know, the best version of Scribe that they can build and. You know, sounds cheesy, but it's true. Like, be the best version of themselves they can be and and really grow as part of that process. And I'm really proud of what we've been able to accomplish with that team. You know, Scribe has grown to be used across tens of thousands of organizations at this point. We might even be hitting hundreds of thousands of organizations in in over 100 countries. And we just only started really doing marketing in, in the last, you know, less than last year now. So a lot of that growth was just driven by our users Um, you know, finding Scribe and and sharing it with other people because they found that it really helped them and saved them a whole bunch of time. And they they were thankful for that and and wanted to spread the word with others. Um, So to me, it's it's pretty cool to kind of pop my head up every now and then and, and look back at how far we've come with you know, a relatively small team and, um, you know, pretty, pretty limited uh, marketing and such. And it's just been all thanks to our users. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. We did practically no marketing, right? And I actually think that was a mistake. Um, I, what we found was that when we told our story to users, you know, in, in the early days we had, you could go to our website and you could, um, you know, click a, a contact us button and you, you'd get dropped on my calendar. <laughs> and so I talked to a lot of, you know, kind of early users. And what I found is when we told them our story of, you know, why we built Scribe and, and what problem we were trying to solve and, and why we thought this was important, it really resonated with people. It really loved hearing it. And the only way that most people would have heard that story was if they had put time on my calendar or happened to have talked to another user, right? Who, who kind of like knew the story secondhand. And I wish that we had just built in public from the beginning and just been much more vocal in sharing what we were doing. I think we would have gotten faster feedback from folks. We probably would have gotten faster user growth from the beginning. Um, and it was probably an, an oversight for us to, to not do it sooner. Um, and it didn't come from a place of really wanting to be sort of secretive about it or anything. It just came from a place of us saying, 
What's most important right now is us making sure that we're solving the right problem for the right people in the right way. And we're just really, really focused on that. But I think if, if I could go back, I probably would have talked more publicly earlier about what we were doing, even as just a way to further that goal and just have more people kind of giving us feedback on, on what, they, what they thought about what we were saying. I wouldn't take back the folks dropping on my calendar, and, and I even do that now. I will round robin um, some of the, the leads that come in and, and take them myself, just because I think, and everyone, uh, everyone on our team does that, just because I think that's really important. There are ways to do, you know, what, what, what we're calling marketing, but I'll really just say like sharing your story that, that don't actually cost that much money. They just take some time, right? But social media can be hugely powerful here. We didn't leverage it enough in the beginning. Um, and I, I think I see a lot of companies that are probably in a similar boat that are just like so heads down, busy building in the early days. What does the future look like for Scribe the product and for your team? With Scribe the product, we are focused on building it out so it becomes more of a multiplayer game. So Scribe right now is an inherently social and collaborative, right? And that I'm only ever creating a Scribe to share it with someone else, right? Because I've got to show them how to do something, whether they're a customer who's confused or whether it's a teammate that, you know, I'm trying to answer a question or, you know, it's an adjacent team and maybe I'm in some kind of enablement role. And so we are building more of that functionality in the product. So now you can work with teams uh, to be able to collaborate on given scribes to get additional data and understanding on who's doing what within scribes. We can uh, more proactively surface the right scribes for you, as well as, you know, making sure that this information lives in all the places that people work. So we've got the Scribe repository, which just works like any content system you would expect, right? Where you can have teams and workspaces and, and folders and, and search for content. But we've also invested in Scribe being able to live everywhere that people live. You can access Scribes that you've created that are embedded in hundreds of your favorite tools. And then, of course, we continue to, to always try to reduce friction even more in, in the core creation experience. So we track this pretty rigorously from the moment that someone lands on our, our website, scribehow.com, to the moment that they're able to create and share a scribe is under four minutes. And we've tested this across folks varying levels of digital literacy, folks who don't speak English, we haven't translated any of our product yet, and, and we find like most are able to do that in under four minutes. So that that's a really, you know, that's a really low friction experience, but we're always trying to find, are there ways to just make that even easier, even less thought and cognitive overhead for people to be able to just, boom, quickly create a scribe for something they know how to do and answer a question for someone else. Well, let's switch to you, Jennifer. So who influences the way that you work? Name somebody you look up to and why, or multiple people. You know, I've had the, the fortune of seeing a lot of different types of founders and, and CEOs of companies, both when I was a consultant working with, you know, CEOs or leaders of Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies, all the way down to seeing, you know, early stage founders that we were investing in when I was at Greylock. At least for me, like I've learned to kind of pick pick and choose, you see different styles and you sort of say like, what do I think works for me? And, and, you know, what do I, what do I think, uh, kind of resonates with, with what I believe in? And then you kind of adapt it to yourself. 
And to me, that's been people who just kind of who show up and are really real and really transparent about here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. Here's why this is important. Here are the things that are going to be hard about this. Here's how I think we could overcome it. And we're just going to keep checking in along the way of like, here's the status of where we're at. This is the part that's going well. This is the part we still need to figure out. This is how this matched up to what we thought when we first started this. I think just continuing to, one thing that I think is, you know, often surprising to folks as as they kind of get into more leadership roles is just how often you have to repeat yourself, right? And and what you need to have is like that the best leaders have very simple messages that they repeat often and continue to reinforce and tie back everything else to that. And so I'm always very cognizant, you know, our, our team's 50 people were not that big, um, but just continuing to reiterate and remind people like, this is our mission. This is why this matters. This is what we're hearing from customers right now, reinforcing why this matters. Here are the three experiments we ran recently, and we actually learned these things that we thought were true or not. And so here's what we're going to do with that information and, and how we're going to change course. And I think that transparency goes a long way. You know, part of the the learning for me and, and kind of formulating what worked for me was, was seeing counterexamples of what I wanted, right? Of leaders that I saw who would be like pretty closed off with their decision making, you know, tend to sort of have a, you know, I'm the leader, so it's it's my decision and I'm not going to let you know how I decided this. You're just, I'm just going to tell you what it is and then it's your job to execute on it. And that that can work in some organizations, but that that wasn't my style. Well, we talked about a mistake earlier, um, but a little bit different spin. And I've heard I've heard you say this already in the interview about you know if you could go back, you could do you would do something differently. But I'm gonna op- I'm gonna ask it openly, uh, and give you an ans- a, a chance to either answer the same way or to to bring up something else. So, if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different, or where would you consider taking a different approach? You know, my, my answer is really what, what I, the, the number one thing is what I said before, which is being more public about what we were doing early on so we could just get faster iteration cycles. I think we did a very good job of getting our product out quickly um, and getting folks to react to our product. I would have loved to have um, even more you know, engage with even more end users uh, kind of out of the gate to get even more um, kind of responses and and feedback on things even as simple as like our messaging and our positioning. You know, like we found out probably longer in than we should have that the way we talk about Scribe is not really the same way that our users talk about it. We we would talk internally like Scribe is a way to share way to share know how. It's a way to to capture and share how to. And then when we talked to our users, they weren't using words like know-how and how-to, right? They were just saying, like, the stuff I know how to do. <laughs> like, how do I make it easy to share the stuff that I know how to do? Like, this is really quick and easy and fast. And so things like that, you know, it's, it may seem kind of small, but I, I think it's important, like, to, just to try to get as much of a, a pulse on that really early on. And you get that from engaging users, which we did, but I wish we had done it faster and more publicly, which would have led to, you know, even kind of higher volumes. The the thing I'm always trying to to figure out how to do, and I talk a lot with my team, is 
as a, as a fast growing startup, you've got to reduce your cycle time as much as possible, whether that's cycle time for how fast you're shipping product, whether that's cycle time for how quickly you're learning, um, and what that feedback loop looks like. And so we're always trying to think about like, if we're trying to answer this question, what's the experiment that we run? And then how do we rapidly reduce the time that it takes for us to start to get at least early signals, if not an answer to that question? Um, and the way that you do that is by being really open and transparent with with everyone. Like, hey, here's the question we're trying to answer, right? Like, what do you all think? And your users will tell you. If you ask them and they care about your product, they will tell you. Well, Jennifer, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? This is advice I gave to founders um, when I was in, in venture capital a lot, especially like the brilliant technical ones who had, you know, gone into the basement and built something really interesting. And they'd kind of come out and they'd, they'd, hit, they'd show it to me and they'd be all proud. And, and then they'd say, okay, Jennifer, can you go sell this for me? And I'd say, well, you know, have you, have you talked to any customers? Have you talked to any users? And they'd say, well, no, that's your job, right? Like you can help me figure that out. I just got to hire like a salesperson or a marketing person. Um, and, and I would flip that on its head. I mean, sort of the, the extreme opposite of that is like before you ever even build anything, go engage with your users. If you're selling an enterprise product, go call 20, 30, 40 different, you know, enterprise contacts and just get feedback on what it is you're trying to build. If you're building a consumer product or something more prosumer, you know, go on social media, like talk about what you're trying to build, see what people say, um, and, and almost build that excitement and that interest before you even have a product. So, you know, again, this question of exactly who are you building this for and why are they going to care about it? Um, and I, I think a lot of times, you know, we, we take kind of the opposite approach of like, oh, well, I have to build it first. And, you know, the truth is in a lot of instances, you don't have to build it first. You can build a really basic version of it just to get you, you know, enough that you could put it in front of people and get reactions and and get those market insights. That's fantastic advice. Well, Jennifer, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Scribe. Thanks so much for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.